1: Welcome to episode 379 where we spoke with Lorcan Finnegan, the director of Without Name, *Vivarium*, and Nocebo. We talk about his early career making fake trailers and studying graphic design. Currently, he's best known for *Vivarium*, which stars Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. In this movie, a young couple looking for the perfect home will find themselves trapped in a mysterious labyrinth-like neighborhood of identical houses. His most recent project, Nocebo, which stars Eva Green and Mark Strong, Is about a fashion designer suffering from a mysterious illness that puzzles her doctors and frustrates her husband until help arrives in the form of a a mysterious Filipino carer or shaman. In this interview, we talk about doing his own visual effects early in his career, why he hates quote smash cuts and screenplays, why some directors hate over description, how novice filmmakers can make interesting contained thrillers, and how to make a good movie with the budget you have.
0: I wasn't really aware of any uh, moment of thinking, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. It sort of happened accidentally. I studied um, graphic design. I was always into art. um, And I kind of thought that graphic design was, at the time, I thought it was more like motion graphics, animation, logos coming together, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. because that's what I was into as a teenager. Um, So I studied graphic design. and then while I was studying design I started doing motion a little bit of motion design and all of the projects I was doing ended up being quite narrative even if they were very abstract and then I remember making like a fake trailer for uh as a college project so I shot it was like a remake of the shoemakers and the elves but um oh boy walker and I had these little kind of uh evil looking elves and their puppets and um I got my brother to be in it and it was kind of a it was kind of a comedy type thing. but um we didn't have to do a trailer, but I I, I did one for this uh, movie poster uh, project. And I remember when people were uh, watching it the final year show, like there was all this print work from other uh, people in my class, proper graph design work. Uh, but I had this screen with like a funny little thing playing that I put together. And people, I didn't have to explain it. (laughs) They just stood around and were watching it, you know? And it was, uh, I think that's when I was kind of like, oh yeah, this this is great. All I have to do is press play and people can be entertained or they can take something away from it. And it it didn't really need me to be describing my process. Yet here we are talking to you. (laughs) But um, yeah, and then I kind of went from doing design. I I went uh, and worked in, um, in, uh, charlie brooker's company the guy did like black mirror um mm-hmm. this was years ago i was a runner and then i then i was a kind of junior editor i started shooting uh, sketches um and cutting them together and then i did a load of that work for about two years and then came back to dublin and was like with me and my friends we started shooting stuff and we made like a, a pilot sketch show um that was pretty pretty out there. Nobody, nobody was gonna commission it, but it was great uh, experience You know, shooting stuff, editing it, uh, doing the sound, all that kind of stuff. And then um, I started, yeah, I just really liked that short format stuff. So I started making um, some short films, uh, applied for some funding for short films, got a grant to make uh, an animated short called Changes. That was my first kind of proper thing. It was kind of half animation, half live action. Um, and then I didn't really realize that that was filmmaking, but it kind of was, and I really liked doing it. Um, so I just kept doing it and the projects just got bigger.
2: Is there anything from those early days or that you learned in design that you still use today? Anything that the way you think about story and some of those aspects?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, certainly from a design point of view, um, like I can remember reading a book by Bruce Block on um, visual language. And I still read that before doing a film again, just to kind of remind myself of uh, the use of composition color um, color psychology um, and all of those elements that come into play when prepping a film to try and um, you know, add more on a subconscious level through the photography and through the staging and and composition and color and texture and all of those elements, um, which aren't too dissimilar to, um, you know, a background in graphic design. Um, and also, I mean, like I've done, a I kind of have experience in, you know, I did all my own visual effects, uh, my first things that I did um, in After Effects, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. editing things together and doing sound mixes and all of that so it all it's all useful i think if you if you uh start out doing everything yourself you certainly uh have a good understanding of all of the various elements and then you also understand how other people are way better at it than you are (laughs) so uh, it's great to get them to to help you
2: so you've got a couple of story credits and other ones where you're just listed as a director. Um, a lot of a lot of screenwriters listen to the show. Are there any pet peeves you have about? I'm sure you read a lot of screenplays. Any any good or bad things that stand out to you about screenplays today?
0: Uh yeah, smash cuts. <laughs> <laughs> when I see the smash cut, I'm like what does that mean? It's like cuts to cut. It's not like it can be any more aggressive. I mean, maybe <laughs> if it like starts, if it's a set like super close up and then mega wide or something, you might get a sense. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like different, it's a little bit like reading novels, you know, like sometimes I'll pick up a book and if I like the writing, I keep reading it. And if I don't like the writing, I don't. So, I mean, I think it's a taste thing when it comes to how a director uh, feels about a script, you know, um, and there's some writers. I'm working with a couple of other writers as well as Garrett uh, at the moment, and I like the way they write. Uh, it's different, but it's uh, it's interesting. But then I've been sent stuff by people, um, just cold you know, scripts, and um, I sometimes just find it very hard to get into. Um, and I think that's possibly through over description of mm-hmm. of things where it doesn't leave much room for me. To interpret the scene as I'm as I'd imagine it do you know what I mean when people get very specific and I, um I mean these are just personal things you know but I don't I don't like any uh I don't like when shots are described in terms of actual camera work like mm-hmm. where the camera is what the camera is doing any of that kind of stuff because you know I'll I'm going to decide that as the director really I'm mm-hmm. not going to go by the script and go, okay, right, so where did he say the camera's supposed to be? <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I find that kind of off-putting. Um, but I do like, Garrett's writing is great because he he describes things, but still leaves room for interpretation of that scene, you know, not only by me, but also by the actors.
2: Has anything changed? I know your, your career's um, still relatively new. I mean, a little over a decade now, but has anything changed in the last 10 years in terms of like, the first five or ten pages do you feel like people are having to get to things faster has anything changed about the way we tell stories today
0: yeah probably everything seems to be pacier and uh, that's not necessarily a good thing i mean right. that's probably you know from a generation growing up uh watching shorter form contents on youtube and uh you know TikTok and all that kind of stuff um but with all of those trends, they always change. So like, who knows, you could end up going back to, to films being uh, slower because people, and, and I think there is actually a taste um, for films that feel a little bit more like they might have been made in the 70s or something, you know, that uh, take their time and languish on shots. Um, but yeah, the problem is it changes so fast these days. that it's It's very tricky because like if you like from my perspective you know it takes about four years to make a film like from starting Mm -hmm. to the idea to being written to financing it to getting to actually shoot it um at least four years so within those four years your initial idea for something could be like not trendy anymore you know so i think you have to just not even think about uh the trends and what you know trying to give audiences what they want because they won't want it by the time you finish making it.
2: So what attracted you to this uh, latest project without giving away too many plot details or anything?
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, like it really, this project started as an interest in placebos and nocebos and me and Garrett just talking about that and how they're related to shamanism and how in Ireland we had shamans Uh, in pagan Ireland, before Christianity arrived, um, and these kind of powerful healing women called like wise women, and with the arrival of Christianity, and then colonialism, and then a kind of move towards a, a, you know, capitalist consumer society, um, all of that, that aspect of our our culture has been totally neglected. Um, And then by researching that, we kind of discover that in the philippines there's still quite a strong uh tradition of folk healing especially in, in uh Cebu and Secohor. um so like we started doing more research into there and then we went in 2019 we got like a bit of a research grant and uh, Garrett and I went to Cebu and Secohor with a uh, teamed up with a producer there um and met with doctors and shamans and faith healers and um and also visited garment factories and stuff. And then we could kind of see that there was this interesting, to us anyway, an interesting co- connection between um, shamanism, colonialism, neo-colonialism, uh, and a kind of consumer culture that we could see this thread that was interesting. And so from my point of view, it was, very, it was, it was a great adventure because you know pitched the project in Macau Film Festival in China try and find producers from uh from the Philippines to partner up with. And we teamed up with Epic Media from Manila um, and did it as like an Irish Filipino co-production. And we both uh you know I spent a lot of time there then and learned a lot about their folklore and their um their culture as well as uh Chai coming over to Ireland to shoot and learning about our culture and this. so I think that's what kind of attracted me to the project, the, the challenge of it, but also the, um, the adventure of it, you know?
2: Do you look for, uh, with your last couple of films, um, are you trying to look for intimate stories that only have a few main characters or is that more situational about budgetary or pandemic issues? Or how do you think about some of those things?
0: Yeah, no, it was really just a story. This, um, didn't require that many characters really to tell the story. I mean, I'm working on uh, another project with Garrett where there's, I don't know, there's way more characters. um, It's probably like 10 or 15 characters. And, um, but that story requires that many characters. Right. Um, So, yeah, no, but I also really enjoy films where you can really settle into just a few people in a place and see the kind of the inter interconnected um, narratives between them all. Um, And and I'm still pretty bad. (laughs) Like when I read a script with tons of characters, it takes a few reads to kind of go back and go, who's that guy again? And um, so I do find it easier. Um, But on I'm, I'm, I'm projects that I'm not familiar with, you know, it, it, it's tricky. But uh, yeah, no, it's really just the story. How many characters mm-hmm. are needed to tell the story?
2: I think we're almost out of time. Do you have any other advice for uh, maybe novice writers, novice directors who want to tell a really interesting contained thriller, like are kind of in that style? Um.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say... Try and do it, but do give us something that's a little bit different, you know. Um, and if you've no money, use that aesthetic. You know, there's no reason why a film can't be like, I think if you've got good sound, you know, you can shoot something on VHS, you can shoot something on your phone uh, and make it make that a virtue of it, you know, make it instead of like you see a lot of the time people who don't really have the budget to do something trying to uh Give things a kind of a Hollywood look or something. Um, and it can also, it can often be the downfall because it's, it doesn't reach that, uh, you know, polished aesthetic. So then it falls somewhere just slightly underneath. And then there's a lot of that already. So, like, if you want something to pop out, um just try and make it be visually unique and interesting and be experimental as well. Because I think these days there's a kind of a hunger for stuff that's a bit different, you know. Um, And especially low budget filmmaking, if you can make something that's unique and different and exciting, it'll rise to the top because there's a lot of stuff that's just sort of same-ish, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting here. If you're looking for some more information though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new chorus called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandoVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com slash television. That is the Television Screenwriting Masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.